We live uh, in a world, at least most of us do, uh, full of people that are overwhelmed by loneliness and who are crying out, is there anybody out there who really cares? All through Jesus' life, he demonstrated uh, love and care to others. And as we've pointed out most of the weeks in Matthew, he even said that the highest good that we can do in life, the highest good is to love God and to love others. There isn't anything higher that we can do. Not making money, not you know, winning wars, not feeding the hungry, although that's within the loving others, I think. The highest good. But there's a challenge with the highest good of especially loving others. There's challenges with loving God, too. But there are challenges with loving others. For one, most of us tend to be more uh, self-aware than we are others-aware. Does that make sense? We're more self-aware than others-aware. And then, secondly, we're trying to love people. And most people are difficult to love. <laughs> so, this is a challenging good that Jesus wants us to learn to do. So to help us learn better how to love others and to fulfill Jesus's commandment to love others, we have been talking about loving others through meeting relational needs. We've got a lot of needs as human beings. We have biological and physiological needs, things like air and food. and I mean, just hold your breath for the next 10 minutes and see if you need that. You know, you might in that period of time. Um, lots of needs. We need sleep. Some of you can do without it for a while. I, I know. I've, I've watched you, but give you a couple of days and you're not doing as well as uh, when you've had some of that. There, we have safety needs, of course. The whole thing about protection, security, order, law, uh, stability in our lives. There's also esteem needs, such as the need for achievement or personal development. Uh, and fulfillment. But there's a group of needs that can only be met in relationship with others. Most of those other ones, at some level, can we can kind of wrestle them down to the ground and lay hold of safety or security. We could, you know, get our gun and hold off the whole rest of the world. But related to our relational needs, we need others. Can't do that one alone. So far, we've looked at the need for attention the uh, need for approval, the need for support, and this week we're going to look at the need for acceptance. Acceptance. But before we head there, since this talk is about relationships, I'm going to ask you to turn to someone near you again this week. And this time I would like you to share a time recently when you felt very welcomed and accepted and how that made you feel. Or... Perhaps you experienced a sadness. You felt unwelcomed or unaccepted and how that made you feel. You can pick either one or the other. You share a highlight or share a low light, as I tend to call them. Also, I'm going to give you another assignment. When the person shares, if they share a positive experience, then acknowledge that by celebrating with them in their joy. Wow, that's cool. I'm so happy that you experienced that. Or if they're sharing a sadness about how they felt unwelcomed or unaccepted, then share their sadness. Wow, I'm so sorry that happened. 
he must have felt really alone. When we do that, we are fulfilling Romans 12.15, where Paul commands us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. It's called emotional responding. We talked about it weeks and weeks and weeks ago. So, you have a multitasking homework assignment. Not homework, a multitasking assignment. Share with somebody near you a time when you felt very welcomed and accepted, how that made you feel, or unwelcomed, and respond to what they share. Don't just be thinking about what you're thinking about. All right, take a minute, do that. What are you doing here? For the love in the world can't be God. All the need to be loved can't be wrong. Oh, my. So, which way, Twinkle Toes? No, 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 no. If you come, you may never get back home. Fine by me. Gloria, you have a life back there. I don't. I mean, we don't. Not out here. How can we we keep an egg safe? That's if we ever had an egg. Well, I don't need an egg to be happy. Well, you say that now, but what about later, when all your friends have eggs? Then I'll have you. Oh. Now he's going to pledge his soul forever. Uh, uh, Gloria. Here he comes. I'm a, a particular kind of guy. The kind of guy who needs his own space. Oh. It's not you, it's me. Hmm. I'm just not up for a serious relationship right now. Mm-hmm. What he's trying to do now is he's pushing her away. Mumble. Let's watch the fun. No matter what you say or do, you're stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on. As if you're not totally thrilled that I'm here. Um, now she got him on the ropes. Yeah. See, right there is your problem. You think you're irresistible, don't you? Oh, I don't care where you're from. That's got to hurt. Excuse me? Gloria's so gorgeous. Gloria's so talented. What? Just because you can hit a few high notes. You got a problem with my singing? That's perfectly fine. Fine? If you like that sort of thing, it's a little Nana Tootsie for my taste. Ouch. What? You know, showy, flashy, frou-frou. Oh, frou-frou. That's right. Ah, Coming from someone who thinks it's cool to jig up and down really fast on the spot. Uh Like some Tootsie idiot. Oh, Oh, you stubborn, hippity-hoppity fool. Right back at you. Okay, so we all need acceptance. So what was happening there? Yes, we could say bad relationship skills. Okay, if you haven't seen the movie, you don't, which I haven't, but I was told that I understand that the issue there is he's becoming an outcast and he really does care for her, but he in fact is pushing her away because he doesn't want to uh, hurt, have her get hurt, but then he hurts her in the process. So, but think through the issues of acceptance there. I mean, she's just given him all this wonderful stuff on the front end and then... They miss. Yesterday, um, Claire and I were uh, 
um, talking. Were we? We do that occasionally. Oh, yes. Okay, I got it. She called me and, and shared uh, that some information that had um, c- concerned her and kind of disappointed her. And while she was sharing, I was driving. I was in heavy traffic trying to negotiate stopped traffic moving over and all that kind of fun stuff that happens occasionally in San Antonio construction roads. And um, But I went to this place that we've touched on and that I've shared vulnerably about in the previous weeks about sort of this negative interpretation thing that can happen to us when we're hearing somebody share uh, some type of criticism or disappointment. And where I can occasionally take that, um, particularly in my relationship with Clara, is, you know, I'm just a real jerk. I really should have dealt with that and done something about that a long time ago. It was an issue of some historical documentation. And um, I said, you know what, excuse me, I I really got to go right now. I'm in heavy traffic. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Right. Nice. Get out of it. So I withdrew, which is a typical, besides negative interpretation, then another really bad trait that we can do in relationships is withdraw, you know, pushing somebody away. I thought the the little talk from those other penguins in there, look at that, he's he's wishing her away, you know. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, I thought those were great comments. (laughs) Anyway, so, but what this morning, Claire and I talked through uh, that situation, and uh, was it just this morning? We talked, yeah, just this morning we talked through that. And I became clearer on something that's happening inside of me. And that is that not so much am I wanting to withdraw from Clara in that kind of a setting, but I'm wanting to withdraw from the pain that I'm experiencing in my head of condemnation, self-condemnation. And uh, in that transaction and what's happening Again, I was much more self-aware than I was paying any attention to what was happening to Clara and the pain that she was experiencing as a result of this, these things not having been taken care of. So it was interesting. I shared that with her and said, you know, I think it's not so much I'm trying to withdraw from you, but this thing that I'm doing inside my head. So she then was able to share that real honestly, here, come share that. I, I can't share what you shared. Uh, there's a purpose for all this, believe it or not. What did you share? Something about being able to imagine I used to give you or something like that. Oh, yeah, okay. So, anyway, after we got off the phone, um, I was thinking through this, and I started thinking, wow, Randy's really busy. No wonder he didn't get a chance to do this. At first you thought, I'm really good at that stuff. Yeah, and as he's really good at this normally. And this is like an area of forte, you know, it's related to finances and organizing and getting things done and, you know, tracking. And, you know, I have to give him every single receipt, you know, every little receipt, 65 cents receipt, okay? So, anyway, it was related to that kind of a thing. So I was like, I was really surprised that he didn't get this done and, you know, he must be pretty busy, and I start feeling compassion for him. Because, you know, when you're really good at something, and then you don't have time to get that thing done, it hurts. You know, like if you're a mom that's a really good cook, and then you have to resort to frozen foods, it hurts. Not just your kids, it hurts you. Because you know you're really good at that, you know. 
and you know whatever the deal is you know I, um so i just felt ran the sadness for randy and i just really felt his pain and i could imagine that the way i talked to him on the phone wasn't helpful and i wish i had said instead honey you know i came across this thing and i bet you it must really hurt you that you hadn't had a chance to get that done when it was needed to get done. And I don't know. It made this sound really soupy or something. But I, mean, I really got in touch with it. And I felt like I wanted to um, change how I communicate to Randy when I have disappointments. And the reason for that story is because, you know, the, our objectives here, I, I'm really wanting us to, to learn how to love, to extend care. And one of the things in Clara's and my conversation this morning was that, you know, because we know each other so deeply and so well, we can better love. We know these patterns and these issues. And I had, I had given her an example. You know what might have been more helpful is, hey, I bumped into this. I, I'm, I'm sure you just must have slipped up on this. And, I, I, you know, what, what, do we, what can we do about it or something like that? But instead, I, you know, I heard whatever she said. So anyway, we, I share that then to share this. So I, I um, walk into our kitchen this morning and um, experience some disappointment. And so uh, I went back to the office and I was having devotions and stuff. And I was thinking about how I would respond to that, that person relative to the disappointment that I was then experiencing. And thinking through what Claire and I had just talked through. And thinking, you know, if I just simply come across in a really nice, easygoing voice and just say, hey, so-and-so, you know, hey, by the way, can you put away, you know, that stuff that's in the kitchen? That sounds good in my head. But I started thinking about what they're going to hear and realized that they're going to hear and respond like I did last night. Because I know that person fairly well. And I also know that they left early, they left fairly quickly yesterday to help somebody. And as a result, something didn't get accomplished. So I, I met with that uh, person from the family this morning and, and talked through, shared my story first. And then was able to share some just tremendous highlights and areas where I have, I'm loved and touched by that individual. And even the fact that they, they went last night uh, somewhat, not really wanting to, but they offered themselves in love to care for somebody else's needs. So I, I share all that to simply, again, illustrate, because I think we need that, that if we're going to love well, we're going to have to pause and think what, I'm going to say, how are they going to experience that? And it's, it's one thing, you know, you're out in the market something and you say something to the cashier or, you know, somebody at work. But I mean, we're talking primarily to a great degree here of those that are closest to us. And those are the ones we say we love the most, but somehow seem to hurt the most. So, this morning, this morning, ah, this afternoon, we're talking about acceptance. And even though we might imagine, well, acceptance and welcoming is something we do with strangers, it also is in this whole arena, if even those that are closest to us. Uh, during elementary school, I was uh, 
fairly popular, um, had a number of leadership roles. Uh, when I attended seventh grade in, in our educational system back in those, back when I was a boy, um, first through sixth grade was one school, then they had junior high, seven, eight, nine, and then high school was 10, 11, 12. So I leave elementary school having, you know, good friends and that, and, you know, 18 elementary schools join into this, you know, into these two junior highs back in, in my town, where I'm now all of a sudden not quite as significant. But, you know, I, I still was fairly confident. So at the very beginning of the year, I ran for class vice president. You know, not president. I wasn't, didn't quite have the, you know, the, the high, high regard there. But I, vice president. I thought, you know, that's that measurable. Well, I didn't win. And I didn't, in fact, all of what I'm currently struggling with probably goes back to that time, <laughs> I'm sure. So after the service, I'll be up at the front. You all can pray for me. Um. But I, I, I took on some negative thinking in my head from that experience and for two and a half years was in a pretty low slump, low self-esteem. Seventh grade is tough enough or sixth when you go off to middle school here. That's a tough time. And I was blasted. That's all there is to it. And again, in my own head. Again, this is mostly happening in my head. And most of what the pain that we've experienced happens in us and our emotions, and we need to deal with that. So anyway, I share all that, that um, God had a plan for my life, and somewhere around the middle of my ninth grade year, um, I came into contact with a, a new church group, and uh, God began to use those people to accept me, to welcome me, and uh, uh, slowly my low self-esteem began to transition and uh, by the end of my senior year uh, I again was probably somewhere parallel to where I had been as in elementary school I was captain of my track team I was president of the choir um, you know had a girlfriend you know had a whole thing so important in school <laughs> it wasn't Clara but anyway we all need acceptance so let me give you a definition pull out your little pieces of paper and your pens you need this because you need to do this. So pull it out. Acceptance is deliberate and ready reception with a favorable response. Lots of us get deliberate and ready reception. Smack, slap, get out of here. But what we need is a favorable response. To receive willingly, to regard as good and proper. What's the first thing a child conceived in a mother's womb? What is the first thing they need? Yeah, they need the nourishment from the physiological uh, in the womb. We're talking about not we haven't born them yet. We're talking about in the womb. Okay. Okay. They need nourishment, but do babies in the womb need acceptance? What happens when they don't get it? Sometimes they get aborted. Now, Claire and I have had the privilege through the years to um, minister to a, a lot of folks. And where there has been that rejection that happened, uh, maybe they weren't aborted, but they, uh, there, was, there was pain that came in that particular time. Then, of course, after the baby is born, uh, you know, they need air. Air is a good thing, Right. Uh, Eddie, is there a good thing for the baby to get after it's firstborn? You, are you, you're just finishing up your month, right? In uh, it's all over. He's done. 
How many babies did you participate in birth this last month? <laughs> Too many? <laughs> Eddie is uh, a resident. <laughs> anyway, but is, is not acceptance at that point still a pretty significant need? And when a baby's not accepted, do they not experience rejection, abandonment? May they not grow up with perhaps emotional or social or physical disorders? Yeah. Acceptance is a huge thing. I, just take a minute, if you would, and think back over your own life. Do you remember perhaps maybe moving into a new neighborhood or a new city? Do you remember getting a new step-parent or a step-brother or sister? New school, trying out for a new team. Maybe you remember, you know, attending college or your first job. Maybe your first marriage. Maybe your second marriage. On and on we could go. We're all looking for someone out there to accept us, to welcome us. We all need and want acceptance. So if our goal is to learn better how to accept others, let's talk a bit about meeting others' needs for acceptance. I would speculate that most of us would probably consider ourselves, I mean, in this group here, I would say that most of us are fairly accepting people. Generally, that's true. But are we really? Let me ask you this one. When someone is very different than you, in dress or appearance or language or age or financial position, how do you respond to them? In private, when they're not around. How often are we thinking thoughts in our heads about people who are different than us? Mariana touched on this quite significantly a few weeks ago. So that's when we can really tell how accepting we are of others. This is not a new problem. It's been around for a while. The Apostle James dealt with this in his letter in the Bible, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He said, My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a person enters your church wearing expensive clothes and driving an expensive car and a street person wearing rags come in right after him and you say to the person wearing the expensive clothes, Please sit here. This is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say you better stand in the back. Haven't you made class distinctions in your mind and set yourselves up to assess a person's worth? While James here is is dealing with sort of this initial encounter and acceptance of others, I think the real test of our acceptance of others is when we consider our friendships and those that we invite to our homes or our parties. I think that's where we really can see how welcoming and inviting we are. And we need to become more welcoming, more inviting, more accepting of others. So let's talk about a few ways we can do that better. Again, you know, you might, these might just seem real simplistic. Uh, Then again, I hope that they will stir some thoughts for you. We need to look beyond people's faults and learn to give to their needs. Everybody's got faults. I have lots of them. Many of you have looked beyond them and given to me anyway, and I really appreciate that. Clara being the most significant, of course. 
But we need to. The closer we get to someone, the more we tend to notice the imperfections. Napoleon Bonaparte once said, all celebrated people lose dignity on a close view. I'll say it again. All celebrated people lose dignity on a close view. For any of you who are married, uh, just a question, were any of you surprised after you got married by things in your spouse's life that you hadn't noticed before? Don't answer that out loud. You know, we think we know someone, but when we begin to get really up close, sometimes there's things that we didn't notice. And we need to learn to go beyond those imperfections and to learn to accept people completely. The Apostle Paul encouraged us in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, we no longer evaluate people by what they have or how they look. This is from the Message Translation. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with Christ gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. So we need to learn, if we're going to be accepting and welcoming, whether it's first-time encounters in a church setting, whether it be at a work setting, whether it be at a party or whatever, we need to be able to look beyond people's faults. We all have them and to be able to give towards people's needs. Secondly, we need to be particularly sensitive to accept people who are in any way different than we are. When people look differently or talk differently or dress differently or are different for whatever reason, those are the ones that we need to make a special effort to accept. We need to go out of the ordinary. Those that are like us, people that are real relatable and we connect real easy, Those are the easy ones. Where we're really going to demonstrate this kind of love is with those who are different. It's our nature to be attracted to what we know and are comfortable with. But Jesus taught us not only to accept, but even to become like those we want to reach and help. Not in action. Not that we need to drink if somebody else is drinking or smoke if somebody's smoking or whatever, but to, to reach out to be like. And I think there's... That's been a challenge for the Christian community. How do we be in the world but not of the world? And that's been true inside the church and it's been true in missions. For a lot of years, missionaries took not only the good news of Jesus, but they also took their culture. And people had to become Western Christians in order to be a Christian in some of these distant lands. Hudson Taylor, a missionary in China, in the late 1800s, was one of the first missionaries to adopt the language and clothing of those he was trying to reach in order to allow Christianity, not Western culture, to impact their lives. It was culturally the norm for men in that culture to have a long ponytail that was braided, little hats. If you watch older movies, sometimes you see that particular thing. Well, all of the primarily British Uh, missionaries that were serving over there and where Hudson was initially wore their western attire and they and they taught and spoke in English and they wanted the people to come learn their culture and their language Hudson Taylor said this ought not to be and he took on the attire of the Chinese he he got a hat and had a, a braid attached to it inside until he grew his own And he learned the language and began to care and minister to the people. So there's an appropriateness 
that we need to be thoughtful of, of being like those and not being so distant. That really, honestly, is one of the reasons for the atmosphere and the style of dress here at our church that's always been the case. We're intentional about wanting to reach those who are uncomfortable or rejected traditional church, those that maybe don't have a church background. I mean, it's interesting being here now with multiple churches, right? Because uh, I, I was walking in at one point, and so was this other young man in his three-piece suit, you know, with the red tie and the white shirt. You know, I looked down at my sandals and my, you know, Hawaiian shirt, and hi, how you doing? You know, and it's just that's cool. Again, no condemnation. I just, you know, we provide something different. Uh, the story, I, many of you have been around a long time will know this story, but it just is so significant to me. There was a very soon after we started the church, I got a telephone call from a young woman, uh, found out later was a single mom. And she said, I have a friend in uh, California that goes to a vineyard church. And we were talking and he suggested that maybe it might be okay for me to go to your church, um, that it might be okay if I wear jeans. Is that true? And I said, absolutely. I said, the tire is very, very casual, real comfortable. I think you should be fine. And then she said, well, that's good because I don't even own a dress. That gal did come to church, bringing her young daughter. She um, attended one of our first Alpha Evangelistic Getting to Know Christianity course that we offered got saved in that, was with us for a couple of years, was discipled and trained. She ended up meeting a, a Christian guy who lived over in Houston. She moved. They got married, and she moved over there, and I haven't seen or heard from her since. But um, that's intentional on our part. And it's for primarily this purpose of reaching out and being welcoming and accepting. You think it's because so that you can be comfortable. But there's an ulterior motive here and most of us, and that is so that others can feel comfortable. So look around you. Take a look at the people around you. Some might say we're rather a motley crew, but I think we rather look like the people we're trying to reach. That's what I think. Probably we look a whole lot more like the folks that are walking around in Ingram Mall right now, except for maybe some of us need some red hair or something on that. All right, we need to become more accepting and welcoming of others, especially those who are very different from us. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, again in the Message Translation, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, Meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. Great, great translation of that passage. And the efforts that we need to make. I mean, sadly, the world believes that Christians are some of the least welcoming and accepting people. 
go out on the streets and do the person on the streets interviews, most people have a perspective that Christians are unwelcoming and unaccepting. We ought to be the most accepting and welcoming because we have the Holy Spirit living in us and the love of God that enables us to love the person while still rejecting the behavior. And we've touched on that before. This this arena of acceptance is very significant. I mean, how do we truly evidence loving others while still rejecting their behaviors or not accepting their behaviors? It's a challenge. But God does it. God's figured it out. So we need to as well. Thirdly, be especially sensitive to people's need for acceptance when they enter a new environment. When people move to a a different city or school or a new job, a new church, they have an acute need to be accepted into the new group or place. Generally, we do a pretty good job here at a church, in our churches, welcoming and greeting our guests. Some of you are especially good at this, but we all need to be involved in welcoming and greeting others. In a church of our size, it is absolutely easy to to recognize those who are are new or are newer. And it's great when the greeters out in front, you know, greet them. It's great when Clara goes up to them or, you know, I don't do that real well, but I do that. I try and but we all need to do that. And so I would just really encourage you to learn to go beyond your comfort zone. And each week, try and meet a person you don't know. I mean, even though, as Clara said, we're family tonight, there there are some of you in this group of 40 or so that's here that don't know one another. And we need to be getting to know. You don't have to. I mean, our community groups are the primary place where we know one another. But all of us need to be reaching out. We need to even get acquainted with one another here so that we can love one another as a family. Fourthly, we need to help people to properly deal with their failures and disappointments. Our need for acceptance is accentuated when we experience a failure or when we're unduly disappointed. We need to notice when people experience a failure, whether it's real or perceived, or when they're disappointed, particularly in themselves. And we need to reach out to their need for acceptance. I mean, it's like I've I've said this, I've used this illustration before. When a child breaks the cookie jar and cuts their hand, what do they need first? Comfort. First they need comfort, then they want the cookies. But way too often, the first thing they get is a lecture. Hell, if you weren't climbing up there on the counter, you wouldn't have pushed the cookie jar up and cut yourself, you silly little kid. That's not the first thing most people need when they've missed out, when they've missed it, when they've failed, when something's gone wrong. Too many children and teens are frightened to talk to their parents when they're in trouble because they're more scared of the consequences of talking with their parent than the consequences of the trouble. And it shouldn't be that way. Jesus was amazing at this one. Jesus ministered to people's needs for acceptance zillions of times dealing with very, very significant failure people. John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. We bring that story up a lot, but it's just very significant. Multiple husbands, 
goes to the well at a time when nobody else is there because she doesn't want to talk to people because she's been she's an outcast and rejected and she is just blown away that Jesus a Jew and a man is talking to her but that's what God does he initiates conversations with those who are broken and hurting Zacchaeus he's the wee little man climbed up in the sycamore tree Jesus said, come down, I'm having dinner at your house today. I mean, the text tells us this guy was just totally an outcast. Jesus just does an incredible job. The woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, the the uh, demonized man with the legion of demons. Peter, after he had betrayed Jesus. The criminal on the cross. I mean, just, it's just profound how God is able to look beyond the failures, to look beyond the patterns. One of the things Claire and I were talking about this morning is how often do we simply make judgments, make conclusions in our brain without asking the questions. She had a situation recently, we cannot remember it, but it was just classic. It was a situation where she had pretty much sort of determined this person had really blown it, you know, just really had messed up. But she asked a question before sort of condemning and jumping on them, you might say. And the, the, the question just so, the answer just so overwhelmed her at, I am so glad I didn't jump all over this person. We can't remember the incident. I probably could tell it to you. But, but it happens all the time. We, we see somebody walking on the street and we, you know, we see you know, whatever and we make these conclusions and it may not be the way we're thinking. Right, the illustration she and I used this morning we were talking about is, you know, a prostitute. There's a lot of them out there. In fact, today with, uh, with the porn on, on uh, the web, I mean, there's just zillions and zillions of people connected to that whole industry. Zillions. And, and we might, you know, in our minds sort of conclude, well, boy, they're really bad people. They really made some bad choices. But where did that all start? Is it possible it started with sexual abuse when they were a child? And that if we could know and ask the questions, we might be able, like Jesus, to have a whole lot more compassion for these folks. That's a part of this issue of loving others better through considering their needs for acceptance. And the fifth one I'm going to give you here, the last one. We need to love people with God's unmerited, unconditional, and unlimited love. Just an extension of what I was just talking about. I was talking with a, a friend this week, and we were talking about how painful relationships can be. And we were particularly talking about with inside the church, how painful relationships can be. And I said this to the person. I said, you know, I understand about that kind of pain and difficulty. But it says in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I continued, after following Christ for 35 years, even when it's hard, the only choice I have is to love what he loves. Which means that there's not a person I will ever meet that is excluded from, for God so loved the world. Even Christians. 
God has extended to each and every one of us unmerited, unconditional, unlimited love. How many times can we blow it and God offers forgiveness? When are we going to do the same for others? God's love is unmerited. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. It's unconditional. It's not based on what we do or we don't do. It's unlimited. It'll never run out. It'll never be detained. And that's the kind of love that he wants for us as his kids to offer to others. All of us need acceptance from one another. But more importantly, we really need acceptance from God. So how do we measure self-worth? I started out tonight sort of talking about the challenges in my own head of some of my even at 50 years old age still wrestling with self-image and self-condemnation issues. There's two possible options about how we choose to determine our self-worth. The world system, that which we're taught in movies and books and magazines, says that self-worth equals our performance, what we do, plus other people's opinions, what other people think or say about us. That's where that's what the world says. That's how we get our self-worth. What we do, our performance, and other people's opinions. But that one doesn't work real well. That one's pretty tough. I like God's system a little bit better. In God's system, our self-worth equals God's truth about me. What does God think about me? The world encourages us to seek our security and our purpose from success, status, beauty, wealth, the approval of others. And when we don't meet up to those standards, we're not, we're not quite as thin as you know, those people in the advertisement. Our car is not quite as sharp and pretty as those in uh, you know, the movies. When we don't quite add up, sometimes we begin to develop misperceptions. Stinking thinking, a friend used to say. God must really not care about me. You know, I'm just really unlovable. I'm a pretty worthless person. Nobody's ever going to love me. I'll never be able to change. I've been a failure all my life. I guess I'll always be a failure. If people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Living up to other people's standards is a major deal in our society. If we had a brother or sister who got great grades and we didn't, life was really tough. If we had a brother or sister who was a great athlete and we weren't, it's pretty unbearable. The world's standards for self-worth and significance based on performance and other people's opinions is a very hard taskmaster. But God's system of basing our self-worth and significance on what he thinks supplies the essentials for discovering our true significance and worth. Self-worth what our real value is, is based on what God says about us. Book of Genesis recounts man and woman's creation, revealing their intended purpose to reflect the glory of God, <coughs> to partner with him in ruling over the earth. Men and women were, be the, were to be the showcase for God's glorious character. And out of this place of relationship and intimacy, the sharing of God's leadership, the creation account reveals man and woman's great value. They are a special creation of God and they hold a special place in his love. But we're also well aware that the Genesis account goes on to tell us about how 
man and woman willfully disobeyed God. <coughs> forfeiting that close relationship with God. And as a result, the penalty of eternal separation from him has been placed on every man, woman, child. But again, God showed his incredible value and love for each one of us by sending his only son, taking on human flesh, coming to earth, living a sinless life, offering himself as a perfect payment for our rebellion and wrongdoings, dying upon the cross, that we would not have to receive the penalty of our sin, but could walk in a restored relationship with him and live a purposeful life. And as a result of that, as a result of that act of salvation upon the cross, we are offered to be a new person in Christ. I want to read to you in closing <coughs> 11 declarations about us who have received Christ's salvation on the cross. I just want to declare these to you and as I read them, that you could perhaps read them in your mind along with me. These are what God says about us. I was created in the likeness and the image of God. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. God chose me before the foundation of the world to be his child. I am a chosen person. I have been brought near to God by the work of Christ. God's Holy Spirit lives in my heart. God has welcomed me to call him Abba Father, Daddy God, Papa. He has lavished the riches of his grace upon me. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am accepted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your incredible love and acceptance of us. Your unmerited, awesome favor and care. Your mercy, your grace. Would that we would know our true value is based on what you think about us and not what the world says. Might we get that one straight? Lord, I'm reminded of the time when I heard that song that spoke about living our life and then running into your arms. And you showed me that picture of you sitting, standing in the in the uh, audience, cheering for me as I run my race. And Lord, that picture has never ever gone away. And I, have, I know that that is your heart for me and for each one of us here. That you are cheering for us. You're rooting us on. You have good things for us.
not evil. You are a good God. Thank you for your acceptance and your welcome because of Christ. Help us, Lord, to lay hold of that. And then as we have experienced such grace and mercy and kindness, might we be those who, like Jesus, learn how to look beyond the faults and the failures of others, the differences between us and how they look or act or smell and to love as you have loved us. Jesus said, greater love, there is no greater love than that we would lay down our life for another. Lord, we are so self-aware. It is so hard to be others aware. But that's what love does. Lord, teach me to love Clara better and my children, my daughters, my son-in-laws, my grandkids, my friends here in this church. Lord, let me become less self-aware and more others aware. And let us each take on the lifestyle of Jesus of welcoming and loving others. Might Lord there be something different about our church that people can say I was really loved there they just took me and I was so accepted and welcomed Lord let that be the mark of our church thank you Father in Jesus' name, amen. It's very uh, probable that um, some of you here have experienced um, pretty significant pain in this area of acceptance, lack of acceptance, rejection. I don't know how many of you shared stories earlier when you were sharing about the time when you weren't welcomed, but all of us have experienced that. And if you're well aware of an incident from your past, a challenge perhaps that you still uh, find uh, harming you, hurting you, hindering you, I would welcome you to come forward and allow some of our folks to pray with you, to begin to um, bring truth to your heart and mind about that incident and where God is for you. Some of you, as Claire already said, are in place where you've arrived um, here and you've come with a variety of different kinds of needs than anything I've talked about or she talked about. And again, we would love an opportunity to pray with you, to talk with you. Good to see you all and uh, good to have you all here with us. Bless you all. Have a great week and we will see you back again next Sunday. Same place, same bat channel. <laughs>